Well, did everybody have a good Christmas? Yes. I'm curious. Raise your hand if you're wearing something that you got for Christmas. Okay, that's a, that's a bunch of us. Those, those of you that are home, if you're watching in your pajamas and you got them for Christmas, you can raise your hand right there <laughs> in the living room. We're glad that you're all together. Christmas is a family time, right? Amen. And we are family, Amen. right? I really have, I have two families. One's my biological family, and uh, I, I love my grandkids. I got some aunts and uncles not so sure about. <laughs> you probably have... I may have an Uncle Bert that's just a little strange, you know what I'm talking about. But we love our family, and I love my church family. You are my spiritual family. And yes, we have some Uncle Berts, but we're family. So we love each other, right? We don't have to like each other, but we have to love each other. The Bible commands that. Okay, so uh, I want to share... Uh, this is the, we're going to finish our nativity series where we're looking at some of the characters in a nativity set. Um, and last time I shared was on Joseph, who was the guy who stands in the back behind everything, kind of out of sight. Today we're going to look at that Bible character that's right front and center, the Christ child, the baby Jesus. I want us to look at, at him and the role he plays in the Christmas story. So we're going to start here in, uh, as a springboard in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, where it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. In other words, we need to pray, because the government should be on his shoulders, not on the politician's shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's the baby Jesus. This is a prediction, prediction of what it's going to be like when he comes. And there was a, a phrase here that was repeated twice, if you paid attention to it, which means it's doubly important. Did you catch it? To us. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Anytime something is repeated twice, there's a significance to that in the Bible. God, God is a master at putting um, little keys to interpret himself in the Bible. And that to us is significant. Because it's us. It's, Christmas is about us. The coming of that baby Jesus is about us. And we have to remember that. So we're going to look at the Christmas story with us in mind. Here's, uh, here's the first one. I've got seven of these, so I can't spend very long on any one point. Number one, the Christmas escape. Remember the word escape. Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 and 14 says, When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother, and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt. The great escape. 
right in the Christmas story. Maybe you didn't think about that. When you think of the Christmas story, maybe you think of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And then we read on in the Christmas story and we find there is no peace on earth. There is very little goodwill toward men. Jesus is going to bring that, but he's going to bring that on an individual basis to those that have found favor in him. They're the ones that receive the goodwill toward men. In the last month or so, we've heard a news story about 17 missionaries that were kidnapped in Haiti. They were down there to help the people recovering from this massive earthquake. And they were kidnapped by some gang members taken way back in the jungles. Haiti's a pretty remote area, and they took them way back in the jungles. Nobody knew where they were, and these gang members were demanding a million dollars apiece, $17 million for these Christian missionaries. Just about a week ago, the New York Times came out with a headline, 12 missionary hostages in Haiti made escape after receiving sign from God. That was the headline for the New York Times. And it goes on, if you read through the story, and if you, you can get online and read the story, it's amazing. They released two, then they released three. So they left 12 behind. The story is about the 12 behind, still captive, and they received, they asked God to give them a sign what they should do. Twice they received a sign, stay put, stay put, stay right where you are. The third time they received a sign, and the article didn't say what the sign was, how they knew it was a sign from God, but the third time they knew they were supposed to leave. So they all fled. They didn't know where they were. They didn't know what direction to go. It was the middle of the night, pitch black out there. All their captives were asleep. And they went out and they, they identified a mountain in the distance. And so they wouldn't run around in circles. That was their focal point. They headed for that mountain. And they left. All 17 of them, two of them were children. They had to go through, according to the article, briars and brambles to get there. They wrapped the children in clothing because they were, they were, their skin was getting torn with the briars and the brambles they had to go through to get out of there. When I read that article, I thought, how, how relevant that is to us and how Christ steps into our life. He helps us to escape this life of bondage where there's death all around us and we're prompted constantly to do the thing that brings about death in our life. And we have to become overcomers and escape that kind of life. And in the process... Haven't we had to go through the briars and the brambles? Because this world is full of sin, and the wages of sin is death. So all around us, we've got, we've got to get torn going through the briars and the brambles to escape that kind of life. God is so good. Because you and I get to escape. Through the briars and the brambles, we get to escape. That's called, Bible calls that the wilderness. And we're all going through the wilderness right now. We're all getting torn with the briars and the brambles, but we have a hope, don't we? So this part of the Christmas story, I'm calling the Christmas escape. And it reminds all of us that we are to escape this world. Escape it. 
Here's the, the second thing I want us to see from the story. This is found in uh, Matthew 2, the last half of verse 22 and 23. It says, Having been warned in a dream, he, that's Joseph, withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophet that he would be called a Nazarene. That's where the Nazarene church gets its name. Followers of Hedas from Nazareth. Remember one of those disciples when he was told that Jesus was the Messiah? He said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? You see, Nazareth was a podunk town, was a little place out in the middle of nowhere. Very few people came out of there. It was an ordinary town, and ordinary people came from that town. Ordinary. Like us. Were any of us rich and famous? We're just ordinary people in the struggle of life like everybody around us. We're ordinary this is the ordinary Christmas. If you like to take notes, you can write that down. Just ordinary people, ordinary town, doing extraordinary things. Yes. This, is, this is the good news. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Absolutely. Can anything good come from Waterloo? Absolutely. Or Butler or Garrett? or St. Joe, or Hamilton, or Spencerville, or Corona, wherever you come from, it's an ordinary place, and ordinary people come from there. But God's an extraordinary God, and he loves to work with ordinary people in extraordinary ways. Here's the third one. Luke chapter 1, verses 30 through 33 says, But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. This is the hope of Christmas, that there's a future. Have you ever held A newborn baby. You hold that baby, you look in its eyes, you look in its face, and it's so helpless, so defenseless, so innocent. You see, when we look at a baby, we see the future. When you look at a newborn baby, you do not think about bad things. You think about good things. You think about hope because a baby is brand new. It doesn't have the baggage we all have to carry. So we love little innocent, helpless baby. Everybody wants to see the baby win. Everybody wants to see that baby become great. It's as they grow up and get into the teen years, we kind of lose our hope. But the hope of Christmas is what can be. What can be. When I look at you, I look at what can be. I don't look at you the way you are and judge you. I look at what you can be. And I'm filled with hope. I'm filled with anticipation of what good things God can do in your life. I look at myself. I'm forced to do the same thing. 
to look in that mirror and I can't just get mad at me because of the mistakes I've made. I've got to look in that mirror with eyes of hope that maybe God can bring something good out of this Nazareth boy. Maybe God can do something good out of you. We have to keep thinking that way. Because babies, every baby has an amazing future. Amazing future. All right, let's go to number four. By the way, that was the hope of Christmas, if I didn't tell you. Luke chapter 1, verses 33 through 35 and 37 says, How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God, for no word from God will ever fail. This is the mystery of Christmas. How can this be? Mary asked. Chances are the first time you read in the Bible this Christmas story, you probably said to yourself, how can that be? Actually, if you read very many places in the Bible, you probably asked the question, how can that be? How can a great big fish swallow a man for three days? And then vomit him up and he'd still be alive. How can this be? How can you throw three young men into a burning furnace and they come out not even smelling like smoke? How can this be? So our first natural reaction as people who have been raised in the public school system and we have this idea of cause and effect, we read stories like this and we say, oh, that can't be. God can do anything he wants to do. He can do anything he wants to do. So how will this be? Angel gives the answer, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, anything can happen. Not only come upon you, but for those of us in the church age, lives within us. This Holy Spirit, the presence of God, resides within us. How can these things be that somebody like us, ungodly people, people who have messed up again and again, how can a loving God do anything in us? How can this be? Answer, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. If the Holy Spirit isn't involved, it can't be. But when the presence of God, the Spirit of God gets involved in our life, anything is possible. Which just exasperates me that there are entire churches that believe the Holy Spirit doesn't work today. Why would we even waste our time going to church if the Holy Spirit isn't going to do something in our lives? Because we're all doomed without that. That's the mystery of Christmas. Here's number five. Luke chapter 2 verses 4 through 7 says, So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. This is the hard times Christmas. 
Hard times had fallen upon Joseph and Mary. They were required to go to a town they'd probably never been to before because that was Joseph's ancestral homeland. And everybody had to go back to your ancestral homeland and register in a, in a census. So everybody was displaced. They all had to go back to where their ancestors were from. If you had to go back to the homeland of your great-grandfather, most of us in this room wouldn't even know which way to go because we don't know where our great-grandfather was from. We can't trace it back any further than that. The birth of Jesus was in hard times, representing his life, because his life is going to be full of hard times, and representing when Christ is born in us, when we are born again, it's a birth into hard times, now, we have it pretty easy here in northeast Indiana. I mean, we have so many guarantees. Our, we want our government to guarantee this, and we want our government to guarantee that. Till COVID comes along, and all of a sudden, the government can't even guarantee anything. We're forced to go back and rely on God and his protection and his defense in our life. So because there's not a single guest room in this little town of Bethlehem where they had to go back because so many other people had to go back and register there at the same time. There's not a single guest room. This baby was born in a stable. For those of us modern Americans who don't know what a stable is, that's like your garage. Except instead of the fumes of gasoline, you got different kind of fumes in a stable. Doesn't smell good. It's the opposite of sanitary. Forced to be born in a stable. They took a food trough, which is what a manger is, stuffed it with straw to lay that baby. Anything but sanitary. Anything but safe. He was born into that kind of a world. What happens when your babies are born? First ones to come are grandma and grandpa. Not happening in this story. Just in case you want to have a doctor present, right? Just in case when you're having that baby. She didn't have a doctor or a midwife. Nobody to help her. Just a bunch of strangers. Hard times Christmas. You and I live a life in hard times. Because nobody can guarantee peace and safety. We have been spoiled rotten here in northeast Indiana in the 21st century. So that when a sickness comes along, we don't know where to turn. We don't know what to do. We rely on the doctors and the healthcare business to take care of us. It's a hard times. Christmas, hard times in our life. I'm saying this because I'm trying to speak and communicate to people in this room who are having hard times. And sometimes because you're having hard times, you tend to think God's not with you. God's not caring for you. It's got nothing to do with it. Jesus came into the, this world under God's supervision under hard times. But God's, God is a God of faith. He's got faith in what can be yes. in the future. Yes. All right, here's number six. 
Luke chapter 2, verses 16 and 17 says, So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they, this is the shepherds, had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. They spread the word. I love it. We all, we all spread, spread some words, you know. We all do that. Every day we're communicating on the telephone, on the internet, on Facebook, face-to-face. We're all communicating. We're saying things. That's communication. But what are we saying? Are we really saying something significant? Are we really communicating Simply having a wonderful Christmas time. Fourteen times they say that. Simply having wonderful Christmas time. What are they saying? If you're, if you're going to be one of the most prolific songwriters in history, have a message. Say something. Yeah. Say something. So there's some stories worth telling. There's some words worth passing on. Yes. And that God sent his only son to pay the price for our sin on the cross. That's an important message. Yes. That sure beats the Christmas stories I see when I'm watching TV. And I love the stories of Santa Claus and Rudolph and the Grinch getting converted. I love stories like that. But it's really not the Christmas story. Christmas stories about you getting converted and what God wants to do in your life. So I've learned that the best way to spread the word is to do it in the form of gossip because everybody loves gossip. So figure out a way. I mean, you're creative. God's put his spirit inside of you so that you can think creatively. Be creative. How can you start some rumor that somebody else will want to tell? Because people love to tell juicy stories. So if you can tell a juicy story positively about somebody, something what God's done in somebody's life or what somebody did, if you can tell a juicy story, listen, it's human nature. They're going to pass that on to somebody else. They're going to pass that juicy story on. So get a, get a rumor started. Stop and th- be strategic. Who are you going to tell to start the rumor? Somebody you know passes stories on. Tell them that story and watch and, see what, watch and see what happens. All right. Here's number seven, the last one. Oh, by the way, I didn't give you that point if you want to write it down. That's the contagious Christmas Christmas should be contagious. Good news should be passed on. Yes. Here's number seven. Luke chapter two, verse 40. And the child grew and became strong. He was, fulf- he was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. I love that. The grace of God was on him. We understand that the Messiah, this Jesus was totally God. But you miss the story if you don't also understand he was totally human. He was 100% human. 
He was also 100% God. Both dimensions. The grace of God has to grow in us. It has to grow. When you become a Christian, God puts his grace in your life. But I know way too many Christians that have tasted the grace of God, and there they stood. There they stayed. It never grew. It never developed. You and I have some responsibility in developing the grace of God that he puts in our life. We have to do something with it. God puts his grace here, which is unmerited favor, his favor that doesn't deserve it. But we have to pass that on. And it's not natural to pass on grace to ornery people <laughs> who would just love to hurt us, take advantage of us. But you grow in it when you make yourself do it. You grow in it when somebody hurts you and you turn around and bless them in return. That's how you grow. You make yourself grow in that. That's not natural. That's not easy. Somebody hurts me, first thing I want to do is hurt them. Punch them in the nose. They deserve it, right? Somebody's got to teach them a lesson, right? So it's got to be, it's up to me to teach them the lesson, right? No, I can't teach them anything. I just make them angrier. It's God that has to teach them a lesson. Now, I can set it up for God to teach them a lesson by doing something good in exchange for them doing something bad. And when I do that, I'm giving God permission to teach them a lesson. God can clean their clock a whole lot better than I can. I just make them mad. So, the grace of God, this good, good God, nothing about him that isn't good. The grace of God settles in us. Have you thought about that? This good God showing grace to us, his spirit, the spirit of the good God, is inside of us. Amen. We can make this world a better place. Amen. Different than what it is. By making investments. But I have to develop the grace. In me. It doesn't grow by itself. Here in a couple months. I'm going to go out and plant my garden. Well. Maybe Anita will. We are going to plant a garden. We're going to put seeds in the ground with hope and expectation that that, those seeds are going to grow into something and produce something that we can put on our salad. We're expecting that. But I've learned if we didn't go out and pull up weeds, all the nourishment would get stolen away. If we don't put a little water on it, that hot sun is going to bake it and parch the soil, we're going to get nothing. You see, that's how you develop this grace. You don't just let nature take its course. Amen. You can't let nature take its course with your kids. You have to give some guidance. You can't let nature take its course with your inner self. You have to give it some guidance and let God give it some guidance. And you can't just expect that grace to appear naturally. It shows up. It gets implanted in me like that seed. But I have to work on developing that grace. I have to work on passing it on. I have to work on developing it. And so do you. 
because he's a good God and he lives inside of us. So nothing bad, evil, hurtful should ever come out of us. Only what's strengthening to others should come out of us. Let's stand together. We're going to sing one last song. Let me, and before we do that, let me, let me tell this story. I'll wrap it up with this. In our house, we have a nativity set that, that we put up every year. It's made out of olive wood, and it comes from Israel. When my wife and I did a tour of Israel back in the 1980s, we bought this thing. And every Christmas, right after Thanksgiving, we set up this nativity set. And when the kids were little, grandkids, they all liked to play with that, you know, like little toys. One year when we packed everything up after Christmas was over, we packed this nativity set up in, in a box, and one of the characters was missing. It was baby Jesus. We had everything else, but Jesus was missing. Where could baby Jesus be? We tore the house apart, trying to find baby Jesus. Couldn't find him anyplace. Finally, one day, in the dead of winter, we were going to watch a movie. It was back when we had video cassette recorders. So I had this VHS tape, and I put it in, and it popped right back out. I put it in again, it popped out again. I thought, something's wrong here. So I reached my hand back in there, and guess who was hiding back in that VCR player? It was baby Jesus. Now, I knew who was responsible. It was my young grandson, Reuben, who lives in Nashville, too far away for us to get mad. But we found baby Jesus. Could it be that baby Jesus is hiding, and he's a key part of the Christmas story, and you haven't discovered where he is yet? He's right here. He wants to reach out and touch your life. He wants to be real, but he loves to hide. He wants us to have to search him out. And when we search him out, we find him and we get all excited. Then you got to pull all the Christmas decorations out to put him back in the box so he'll be there next Christmas. That's Jesus. That's Christmas. The grace of Christmas. Let's sing this last song together.